And I spent over a week trying to come up with another message, and I couldn't. So I'm telling you that this message is for somebody tonight. Whether you're here, whether you're at home, God wants you to hear something that's going to be said tonight. So you should be expecting. So the title of my message is, What on Earth Are You Thinking About? We're blessed with a lot of freedoms in this country, many more than most other countries, or maybe any other country. But the one freedom that everyone has, no matter where you live, is the freedom to think. No one can stop you from thinking. You can think about absolutely anything you want. But just because you have the ability or the right to think about something doesn't mean that it's good for you or that you should. The Apostle Paul said in his first letter to the Corinthians, Some will say, someone will say, I'm allowed to do anything. Yes, but not everything is good for you. I could say that I'm allowed to do anything, but I'm not going to let anything make me its slave. You see, Jesus Christ has set you free, and you are free indeed. But it's up to you what you do with that freedom. Depending on what you think about, uh, your thoughts can expand your freedom, or they can cause you to live in an imprisoned state. But when you became a Christian, you were made a new creation. But there is one area that was left for you to renew, and that is your mind. In Pastor Day's previous series, The Tipping Point, he started off every message with Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. So we're going to start there. Verse 1 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the view of God's mercy, to offer your, your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. That simply says this, living your life in a holy and pleasing way to God is the true way to worship him. We worship him in song tonight. We worship him in our giving. That's corporate worship. But how you truly worship God is how you live your life. If you live your life in a holy, pleasing way, that's your worship to him. Verse 2 says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. To be able to test and approve means to explore, to investigate, or to ascertain. When you renew your mind and you think about the things of the Lord, that's how you deep, more deeply explore and investigate the things of God. So tonight I'm going to talk to you about your mind. I believe the mind can be divided into two parts, your head and your heart. Your heart is where your convictions are, where the essence of who you truly are resides. It's the real you, at least as far as your mind goes. And because of that, it doesn't change very easily or very often. You don't really have control over your heart, at least your heart as I'm describing it here. It is developed by your life experiences and defines who you are. If, if you were going to, two different people are going to bake or cook, not bake, but a, a recipe, and they start with a piece of meat. The same piece of meat. One person has their way of preparation with their spices and their herbs and whatever they put on their seasonings. Another person has something different. That meal, that piece of meat could taste totally different at the end. Same thing in the beginning ends up different. What? Because of what was put into it. That's what makes it different. And that's what your heart is like. 
I believe it's the part of your mind that the Lord speaks to. It's where you hear that small voice. But your heart is not going, our heart, I'm sorry, is not going to be the focus tonight. What we're going to talk about tonight is your head. Or another way of saying your head is your thoughts. Or the things you think about. Tonight I want to help you to judge for yourself through reading and understanding God's word if your thoughts are helping you to, to live in the freedom Christ gave you or if they are causing you to fall back into the bondage of the fallen world we live in. Before I go any farther, I would like to say that I'm not talking down to anyone here tonight. I do not claim to be perfect by any means in this area, but I do believe that the Lord wants me to share with you some of the truths that he has shown me from his word that are helping me in my walk. The Bible says to take every thought captive to the beings of Christ. But to take every thought captive does not mean that you never have a bad thought. You can't take a thought captive if you haven't already had it. Paul's not saying, don't ever think of anything bad. Yeah, he doesn't want us to, but thoughts come into our minds. We have thoughts enter our minds. I mean, they just do. But our job is to take it captive, to not dwell on it, to not rethink on it, to not relive it, to not play it over and over again to the obedience of Christ. We're going to start tonight in Colossians, and this is really the basis of the title anyway, in Colossians 3, and we're going to start with verses 1 through 4. And it reads like this, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ and God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. Verse 2 said, think about the things of heaven, not the things of this earth. So my question for you tonight is, what on earth are you thinking about? I'm not saying that you should not be thinking about anything that has to do with our existence on this planet. You have responsibilities here that need to be attended to. If you are at work, you need to keep your mind on your job. That's what you're getting paid for. I'm an employer, so that had to come first. As a father, a mother, a husband, a wife, a brother, a sister, a citizen, etc., any of those things, there are many things that we need to think about, consider, and act on prayerfully and hopefully with the leading of the Holy Spirit. When Paul says, don't think about the things of the earth, he's talking about what exists because of the sin in the world. You see, as a Christian, you have been reborn, and you have been made anew. You no longer live under a curse, but the earth still does. It has not yet been made anew. The Bible says in Romans that the whole earth, I'm sorry, the whole of creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And that present time is still now. We're in the same age when Paul said this. His present time is our present time. And it says all of creation is groaning in pains of, as in pains of childbirth right up to now. I'm not exactly sure what that means, but all of creation is waiting for something. And I think childbirth points to it's waiting to be reborn. It's waiting to be recreated, a new heaven and a new earth that's going to happen when Jesus comes back. But it's not yet. The earth and all of creation will be made anew when Jesus comes back. But right now, he is not 
the Lord of the earth. Satan still is. And his only agenda is to trip you up and keep you from living the life that Jesus Christ came to give you. I want to be very clear about something. I'm not talking about eternal life. I'm talking about life here on this earth. What I'm talking about tonight has nothing to do with your eternal life. Your eternal life, if you are in Christ, is set. There's nothing that's going to change that. Nothing that you're going to do is going to change that. If you are in Christ, you are born again, you have eternal life. Or you're not living your eternal life now because we will all eventually die or be regenerated when the Lord comes back. But we possess eternal life. It's in us. The seed is there and we will be, re we will be regenerated. But the things that you do on this earth will affect the way you live on this earth. The way Satan tries to trip you up is by luring you with thoughts that appeal to your flesh or your sinful nature and not your reborn spirit. If we go back to Colossians chapter 3, the things of this earth that we are not to think about start in verse 5. Keep in mind uh, that everything we do starts with a thought. There's nothing that you do that doesn't start with a thought unless it's a reflex. I went to drop this mic and I grabbed it quick. That's a reflex. I didn't have to think about it. But everything else, you might not realize it, but it started with a thought or there were thoughts in your mind that brought it around. So this is what it says in Colossians 3 verse 5. So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Now, I want to stop right here and explain something that is crucial. And this is crucial. As a Christian, if you struggle with some of these things and you think you are un that you are unable to get past them, you are wrong. The Bible says that you shall know the truth. Anybody get the text today? You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Two of the biggest problems that Christians have in their lives is that, one, they don't know the truth, or, two, they don't apply the truth to, to, truth to their lives. In Pastor Jose's present series, we're learning about what happens when we follow false narratives or lies that we hold to be true instead of God's truth. That's what the desires are that Paul is talking about in verse 5. They may be truths to this world, but they are not, but they are lies according to God's truth. And if you are not a Christian and you're depending on your own willpower to overcome these types of desires, good luck with that. But if you are a Christian, something amazing happened when you came to Christ and you may not even realize it. This next part is where you got to listen. This is, the most, this is the key to the whole thing. I could get down here, I could go home, but Pastor Jose told me to talk longer, so we're going to go a little farther. In Colossians chapter 2 and verse 13, it reads this way in the New American Standard Bible, which is a word-for-word -word translation, basically. It reads this way. It says, when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he, meaning God, made you alive with him, meaning Jesus, having forgiven us all of our transgressions. Okay, let's read that again. When you were dead in your transgressions, so this is talking about before you were saved. 
okay? When you were dead in your transgressions and something else. Two things he's talking about here. Dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh. Now, Paul is writing this letter to the Colossians. The Colossians were Gentiles. They weren't Jewish people. But these are the saved Colossians. He's writing to the church. So he could be talking about circumcision. They weren't circumcised. That could make sense. No, he's not talking about circumcision. And we know he's not talking about circumcision because Paul vehemently, if that's the right word, spoke against it. In, in Philippians, in the third chapter of Philippians, when he's telling all his credentials, he's explaining all the things that make him a proper Jewish person and a Pharisee, one of the things he says is, on the eighth day I was circumcised, because that was really, really important. But what does he say at the end of all that? He says, but I hold all this stuff to be garbage, trash, worth nothing compared to the knowledge of knowing Jesus Christ. He is not talking about circumcision there. I also know he's not talking about circumcision there because later on in the Bible, he's talking about there were some disciples who taught that when you came to Christ, if you weren't circumcised, you needed to be circumcised. And what did Paul say about them? He basically said, I wish that you people who are teaching this would go mutilate yourselves. He's not talking about circumcision here. He knows circumcision, at this point in his life, he knows circumcision means nothing. But he does say that when you were dead in your, in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, there's something there. He's talking about something, but he's not talking about being circumcised. The uncircumcision of your flesh, circumcised means to cut in a circular motion is what it means, and we all know why that is. It says of your flesh, but we know, we all know he's not talking about circumcision there, right? So what's he talking about? The circumcision of your flesh, another word for flesh in different translations, flesh in the, new, in the New American Standard or the King James, New King James, it's a pretty direct translation of the word. That's why they use it, because it's a word-for-word -word translation. It translates, but that word flesh, what does it mean? What does the word flesh mean? Flesh is the part of you that sin attaches itself to. All right, it's not your skin. It's the thing that sin wants to grab a hold of your life and hang on to. And it says here, he says, you were dead in your, trans in your transgressions and your uncircumcised flesh. In other words, the flesh was still attached to you. Let's see what it says in the New Living Translation. It says in Colossians 2, verse 13, listen. It says, when you were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away... Then God made you alive with Christ, and he forgave all your sins. That's what that's talking about. That's not talking about circumcision. That's talking about your flesh or your sinful nature was not yet cut away. So when you got saved, your sinful nature got cut away? I don't know what that looks like. I can't draw a picture of that, but I'll give you a little example. I picture someone who's a slave, and they have shackles on and chains their whole life as a slave, and they can never run away. They can't get away from them. And someone comes, and they free them. They take off those shackles. They take off those chains, and they are free from them. They are no longer attached to them. Would that person that, that was a slave that's now free pick up those chains and bring them around wherever he or she went? I don't think so. But we do that. 
We take that sinful nature that God cut off of us. I, once again, I don't know what that looks like, but it was cut away. It doesn't belong to you anymore. It's not attached. And sometimes we pick it up and we drag it around with us. And that's why sin can come into our lives, because we pick it up. Why are we picking up? I don't know. I think I know why. Maybe because it's what we were. And it's comfortable. When the Israelites left Egypt, they were slaves for 400 years. They were not treated well. They were free walking to the promised land, to the land that God promised them. And they had a few problems. So what did they say? Oh, that we can go back to Egypt again. Why would they want to go back to Egypt? Why do we God want to go back to Egypt? I wrote it this way because this is the way it makes sense to me. Don't hang on to something that enslaves you just because it's familiar. All right? Don't do it. Don't hang on to something that enslaves you just because it's familiar. The sinful nature has been cut away. What does it mean? I don't know. Search it out. Read it for yourself. Read it in different translations. I don't know what it looks like. But it's done because Paul said it here. When you're dead in your transgressions and something else. What was the something else? It wasn't circumcision. It had to be something. And this is what it was. Your sinful nature has been cut away. I believe that circumcision was a shadow of something that was to come. God had Abraham cut something away when he made his covenant with him as a symbol of what God is going to do in each and every person who comes to Christ. Cut away the biggest thing that keeps you bound to this world, your sinful nature. Romans 8.12 says it this way. Therefore... So you got to read everything else to get to the therefore. You just go back and read all Romans 8. It's, it's good stuff. Just read it. But therefore, because of everything that's before, it says, Dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. Why? Because it's cut off. It doesn't belong to you. You're not obligated to do anything it wanted you to do. It wants you to do things. And it doesn't say it was thrown into the sea. It's not... Thrown away. It's there. You can pick it up anytime you want. Why do we? Don't do it. You, you will know the truth. The truth will set you free. Now you know. Maybe you never really knew. Maybe you never really knew that that thing was taken away from me. And you thought, I'm just struggling through this life with everything that I had before. No, you're not. No, you're not. You don't have it anymore. It's your choice whether you pick it up or not. Make the conscious choice not to do it. Make the conscious choice not to do it. All right, so let's get back to uh, Colossians 3. Uh, we're going to go back and we'll read 5 one more time. We're going from there. So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world. Verse 6 says, because of these sins... The anger of God is coming. we got to stop here again. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. What does that mean? It says, let's go back to the New American Standard again. It says, Colossians 3, 6 says this. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons 
of disobedience, the ones who are not obeying. Because of the sins described in verse 5, God's anger is coming. It's called Judgment Day. Because of the sin that still is in the world, uh, I'm sorry, because of the sin that is still in the world, God is coming back to judge, but he's not coming back to judge sin. Sin has already been judged. It has. It's been judged. God's judgment will come upon those who have not obeyed him. Stay with me. But what does it mean to obey him? To obey him simply means to do the things or the work that he gave you to do. Does that make sense? If he told you to do something and you do it, you're obeying him, right? If you don't, you're not obeying him. Let's look at John 6, 28. John 6, 28 and 29. So actually, this is the very, we're going to go back and read something else in John 6, but this part we're going to read now because it pertains to this. So we'll set this up later, but there's a bunch of people that came around him, and this is what they said. They replied, we want to perform God's works too. What should we do? All right, they're asking, what should we do? Jesus told them, this is the only work God wants from you. The only work God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. That's the only work. Jesus said it. He said it of himself. This is the only work God wants you to do. Believe in me, in Jesus. Jesus said it. I'm not pointing to me. I'm pointing to Jesus. Being saved is not about sinning. It's about believing. I'm sorry. Being saved is not about not sinning. It's about believing in Jesus, period. John 3.36 says this. And anyone who believes in God's Son has eternal life. Anyone who does not obey the Son will never experience eternal life, but remains under God's angry judgment. That angry judgment that's coming because they didn't believe in God's Son. That's it. Sin isn't your issue. Sin isn't the world's issue. They just don't know it. It's their issue because they're living in it, but it's not because Jesus took it away from them too. They just don't believe in the one who took it away. So when you read that, it says that God's angry judgment's coming. It's just coming for those who don't believe in him, who don't obey him. Don't, don't put that as condemnation on yourself and say, oh, I, I slipped up. God's angry judgment's coming after me. It's not. It's not. Sin's not your issue. Okay. Now we're up to verse 7. We're going re- to read through the rest of this. We're going to read through the laws because I don't know where to stop here. This is just good stuff. So verse 7 says, you used to do these things when your life was still part of this world. But now is, now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old nature. You stripped it off. God stripped it off. And all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. Put on your new nature as you learn to know, as you renew your mind and become like him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you are a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, doesn't matter, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves, clothe yourselves. Now how do you do this? Start by thinking about it. 
Set your mind on the things from above. Start by th if you don't think about it, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Anybody like football here? You back there? If you like football, you think a good play happened just because it happened? They thought about it and thought about it and thought about it and thought about it and acted on it. And then it finally happened. Or maybe it didn't. Who knows? Anyway, but it wasn't for lack of trying. So you're putting your mind on these things. Um, on tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, still thinking about this, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Let the message about Christ in all its riches fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Now, if you're saying to yourself, wow, these verses, they sound kind of familiar. I think I've heard them someplace before. Well, you'd be right. Because in, in Galatians, in the fifth chapter, starting at verse 16, it says this. Paul says, so I say that the Holy Spirit guide your lives, then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants you to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. The Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting against each other, so you are not free to carry out your, go your good intentions. Now, your good intentions are what your heart as a Christian wants you to do. Those are your good intentions. And when it says that you're not free, it doesn't mean that it's impossible to carry out good intentions. It just means that when you allow, listen, the cutaway sinful nature that you are no longer under obligation to, weigh in on your life, you make it difficult. That's what it means. Verse 18 says, but when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation of the law of Moses. What that means is they live, he just pointed out that the Jewish people, they live all the time under obligation. What can I do? What can I do? What can I do? I got to focus on what I can't do. I can't do that. I can't do that. I can't do that. We don't have to focus on that. We just have to think of things above and do what pleases God, and we have to worry about the rest. When you, defile, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, when you think about these things, the results are very clear. And here we go again, sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, uh, sorcery uh, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, uh, dissension and division, enviness, drunkenness, wild parties, and other, other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I did before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, let's look at that a minute. We don't want to go off track here either. It's important to point out here what Paul means when he says anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. He's saying anyone, anyone having that type of lifestyle, anyone who lives that way all the time, they get up in the morning, and this is what they focus on, and this is how they live their life. He's not talking about someone who has tripped in one of these areas. 
Remember, sin is not what keeps you from eternal life. The rejection of Jesus Christ does that. God never called you to live a perfect life just to believe in the one who did. However, thinking about and living with these things in your life will affect the way you're living now. I said this before briefly. When, you, when you're thinking about the things of this world and, and you allow that and you allow yourself to act on those things even, it's not affecting your salvation. It's not affecting your relationship with God. That is intact. But it does affect the way you live here on this life. It will affect you. It will. You, you, you can think it won't, but it will. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Now, how does the Holy Spirit do this? When you think about it, produces love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Notice it says when the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, how does that happen? I'm glad you asked. You see, when, when you became a Christian, the Holy Spirit moved into your heart. And he brings these things with him. You may not perceive it, but they're there. And if you will allow your head to listen to your heart, and I don't mean for five minutes, I mean continually over a long period of time, you will see the manifestation of these fruits in your life, and other people will see it as well. You see, it's up to you. You control the seeds that are planted in your thoughts. God is in control, but he does not control your mind. He controls his mind. It's your job to control yours. Amen. You, ever, you ever think, sometimes I thought, wow, God, you know, I'm brand new in you. Why couldn't my mind be new in you too? Why couldn't you just take care of that? But it's a simple reason. Because he wants us to love him. He created us to love and he wants us to love him. And if he took over our minds, we'd all be robots. So he wants us for who we are, who he made us to be. But we got a job to do. we got to take care of that one part. I said before that you have responsibilities on this earth and that you don't, that you, uh, I'm sorry, that you have to think about things that need to be taken care of. But you should not let those thoughts be consumed either. You should not be consumed with those thoughts either, I should say. Don't let your needs here on this earth overshadow God's big picture. If you do, you're going to end up with mixed up priorities. There's an account in the Bible where many people were following Jesus, going out of the way to track him down, but for the wrong reason. And this is back in uh, John uh, chapter 6. This, this takes place right after Jesus fed the 5,000. The miraculous sign, they all ate. They had their bellies filled. It was a miraculous thing. That night, the disciples all get in the boat, and they go across the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus uh, didn't go with them. Actually, that's when he walked on the water and met them later in the storm, calmed the storm, and went to the other side. Well, the next day, everyone wakes up, and Jesus isn't there. And here's where we, here's where we take off here. So the next day, the crowd that stayed on the far shore saw that the disciples had taken the only boat, and they realized Jesus had not gone with them. Several, I don't, I'm not sure what that means. I've read it several times. I don't know how they know Jesus didn't go with them, but anyway. Several boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the Lord had blessed the bread and the people had eaten. So when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went across to Capernaum to look for him. They found him on the other side of the lake and asked, Rabbi, when did you get here? And this is what Jesus said. 
Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs. They only recognized him as a meal ticket and not the Messiah because their thoughts were so focused on bread for their stomachs that they did not perceive that the miraculous signs pointed to him as their savior. There's things that we need to do in this world that we need to take care of, uh, things that we have to do, but we can't allow ourselves to be so focused on those that even we could be in the Lord's presence and not perceive the Lord for who he is, all right? I mean, yeah, he's your meal ticket because he'll provide. We're going to talk about that right now. He goes back in, in the next verse. He says, but don't be, this is verse 27, but don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. Another place where Jesus uh, instructs us about the physical needs and the place that they should hold in our priorities is in Matthew 6. This is what he says. So don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat, what will we drink, what will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all of your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. I'll read you verse 33 again. I'll put in the Steve Reinhardt notes. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. Set your thoughts on things above and live righteously. I can't say the word. Righteously. Jesus has made you righteous, but you must decide to live your life according to that righteousness. And he will give you everything you need. Contentment comes when you come to the realization that sometimes the things you don't have are the things that you don't need. God will supply your needs if you fix your thoughts on him. That's why it's important to renew, that is why it's important to renew your mind. The unrenewed mind will tend to think about the things it used to think about before you were saved. But if you renew your mind, take your thoughts captive, and cause yourself to think about things from above, all the things that God has done for you, forgiven your sins, made you righteous, adopted you into his family, loved you with an indescribable love, given you eternal life, just to name a few, then you will be transformed from the things of this world. Isaiah 26.3 says this, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. He didn't say you'll be kept in some peace. He said you'll be kept in perfect peace. Peace is not the absence of troubles. It's the presence of God. Actually, I heard that just the other day. We're driving. I was driving with Kathy. And I said, I got to remember that. She's like, you never heard that before? That's, that's all over everything. So if Pastor Hosea said or Pastor Ned said, I apologize. You know, sometimes you can hear something, but it doesn't go in. Uh, so it just went in that day. But I thought, that's good. Um, so when we're, we're getting close here, real close. God is present 
all the time. So you should have peace all the time. But you can only receive what you perceive, and you can only perceive what your thoughts are fixed on. So one time, just to end, remember again what Isaiah said? He said to the Lord, he said, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. So in Colossians 3, 1, it says that we are to set our sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Well, communion is a time where we can fix our thoughts on the one who sits on the right hand of God. So we're going to do that now. So you can, if you're at home watching and you didn't do it yet, go get something for communion. It doesn't matter if it's a, a wafer and juice or it's a cookie and juice or cracker and milk or coffee and a donut or a bagel. It doesn't matter what it is. It's not about what you're doing. It's about why you're doing it. And while, you, and while we're doing that, I would just like to take a moment because when we do communion as Christians, it means something because we are reliving, reacting, uh, reenacting, I'm sorry, thinking about our Lord Jesus Christ and what he's done for us and what it means to us. But if you're not a Christian, it doesn't mean anything to you. But if you are here tonight, you're home and you heard this message and maybe you're not a Christian, but you said, you know what, something made sense. Maybe I've been thinking about this for a long time. Uh, I've been thinking about, yeah, I should, I should maybe surrender my life to the Lord, but I haven't done it yet. Well, tonight's your night. The Bible says today's the day of salvation. So if that's in your heart and you want to do that before we receive communion, let's just take a moment and do that. And it's... There's no set prayer. There's no set way to do it. You can do it now. You can do it later. You can do it wherever. It doesn't matter. God hears. When you call out to him, he hears your voice. He's waiting to hear you call out for him. He's longing to hear you call out for him. So if that's in your heart and you want to receive the Lord tonight, just repeat after me. Say, Jesus, I believe in who you are and what you did. I believe you're the Son of God, and I believe you died on a cross and rose from the grave and paid the debt for my sin. I thank you, Lord, that my sin is no longer the issue, that I am washed clean, white as snow, because of your blood that covered my life. Thank you, Lord, for that. I receive you as my Lord. I confess it with my mouth, and I believe it in my heart, and I receive you today. And I will spend the rest of my life seeking you to know you better. In Jesus' name, amen. If that's you, you are no longer dead in your transgressions and your uncircumcised flesh. Your sin nature has been cut away and you are a new creation in Christ. And you get to start working on renewing your mind, which is a lifelong process. Anyway, so if you got your little, your little candy dandy communion cups here, just take out that first 
layer and take out this little wafer. You know, I know it does say that Jesus is the bread of life. And, and we have, we, we do commune with bread, but I really do think that bread and wine is just because that happened to be on the menu that night. You know, we'd be doing it with lamb chops and, and I don't know what if that's what they had on the menu. But anyway, so Jesus, we fix our thoughts on you. We think of things above, and right now you are as high above as it gets. So we focus our thoughts on you. We lift you up in our minds and in our hearts, Lord. We thank you for who you are and for what you've done. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you received a body. You never had a body. You were the Word with your Father in heaven, the creator of all things. But you took on a body. You took on a body for one reason and one reason only. So you could come to earth and to die in that body to pay the price for our sins. Lord, and that's what we remember tonight. That's what we focus on tonight, Lord. We don't focus on the troubles of this world. We don't focus on anything but you right now. Because what you did, Lord, is what true truth is, if that makes sense. You are the truth in our lives, Lord, and we just thank you for that, Lord. We praise you. We glorify you, Lord. We just thank you, Lord, that you loved us so much. The Bible says that for the joy that was set before you, you endured this. And we, each and every person listening here, is part of that joy. You saw us, Lord, and you said, yes, I will willingly do this because I love them. And we thank you, Lord, for that love. We thank you, Lord, for your broken body for us, Lord. We just thank you, Lord, and we praise you for it. We receive this bread now in remembrance of what you did for us on the cross with your body. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord. Bible says that when, when the dinner was over, you took the cup. And once again, you gave thanks to the Lord for that, to your Father. And you shared the cup with everyone. You said, take and drink from it. You said, this cup is a cup that symbolizes my blood. The blood that is the, the shed to create not only the new covenant that my Father will have with you, but the never-ending covenant. The blood that washes us white as snow, the blood that takes our sin, took our sin nature from us, cast it aside so we don't ever have to deal with it again as long as we choose not to. I thank you, Lord, for that. I thank you, Lord, for your blood that you shed for us. I thank you, Lord, that your blood was, was spread on the mercy seat in heaven. I thank you, Lord, that it paid for every one of my sins and every one of the sins of the whole world, that sin is no longer the issue. 
We thank you for that, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that because of your blood, we are adopted into your family. We are truly children of God. Children of, yeah, children of God. We are God's children, and we are your brother, Jesus. Your brothers and sisters. We thank you for that, Lord. Can't even comprehend what that is, how great a love that is. But we keep our mind on you as we drink this juice. We remember your total sacrifice for us. Let's drink. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us here at Church of the Bridge today. I pray that you had a personal encounter with God, that he spoke to you powerfully, and that he met you at your place of need with this message. I also want to encourage you to go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube page. By doing so, you'll be able to check out past messages, uh, past events that we've done. You'll also be able to see what's happening now and those things that are to come. And lastly, I'd like to invite you to join with us in all that God is doing with your giving. Feel free to do so on our website. Again, thank you again for joining us, and I can't wait to connect with you.